to me, there's like this, this line between healing and excusing. In health and the mindset, what I realized was there was a time and a place that I needed to use these tools to heal. And I was using them to heal. But eventually there became a shift where it started to be an excuse. An excuse to stay sick, an excuse to not, and that sounds weird because no one wants to stay sick. No one wants to stay stuck in their trauma. But what we have to recognize about our mind is as long as you've survived that state and you've lived in this sense of safety, even though it's unhealthy, not productive, if it's safe, you'll continue to repeat those patterns. Your body is constantly cycling through loops and patterns. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and I'm so glad you're here. Today, we're doing another podcast with my husband, Peyton, breaking down the theme inside the Nourish Planner. Now, if you don't have a nurse planner, there's literally like 10 left. Head on over to thelivingwell.com and grab yours at 50% off. But if you don't, I'm just telling you, the theme for this month is all about healthifying your thoughts. And that's what we're going to talk about inside today's podcast. Now, I know from experience how difficult this could be. I'm not going to lie. It took me a long time to get here. But I am proud to say that I have done so much work, and I'm hoping that you can learn a lot from my journey. So today, we're going to take you along for the ride and what my husband and I have worked through for the last five or more years on really how to healthify your thoughts. And we're going to talk about everything in between your two minds, how to observe your thoughts, our story, and ultimately building a set of beliefs and nourishing your body to really change the course of your thoughts. So you're going to want to stay tuned. But before we get there, don't forget, you can find all of the show information at thelivingwell.com, including additional blog posts on how to healthify your mind. Plus, as I mentioned at the end of this podcast, there's a brand new live workshop that's coming out at the end of the month that's all about the psychology of change. Now, the reason I'm doing this as a nutritionist is because what I know about people is we have a lot of the right knowledge. The problem isn't, knowing it's doing the things you know you should. And I think this is where so many of us struggle and I have so many great tips to really help you understand change in a way that you haven't heard before. Now, this is a four-part series, all taught live, but if you can't make it live, it's also going to be recorded. There's gonna be a community and at the end, a 30-day nourish challenge that's gonna require some discipline, accountability, and really help you start to implement the change that you know and feel the difference. You can learn more about the Psychology of Change workshop over at The Living Well. I highly encourage you to join live because it is really going to be a game changer. So make sure you head on over there, join that, and dive into the 30-day nourish challenge. Now, at the end of the podcast, I also give you a spoiler alert for the summer series that's coming. You know, I'm all about the summer series. I love it so much as we dive into one specific topic. Like last summer, we did the sex talk. This summer, there's something brand new. Of course, there's a lot of great episodes coming before then, so you're going to want to stay tuned. But for now, let's dive right into today's show and welcome Peyton. Welcome back to the show, Peyton. Thanks for having me. It's been a minute. Actually, it hasn't. We've recorded this podcast. Like, this is our fourth time. This is. 
<laughs> it's been brutal. And okay, so I have to say, I re-listened to the last one that we did, and yeah. I feel like we made fun of ourselves for saying, oh, I feel like we just did this. But literally, this time, we <laughs> actually did just do this. Last week on Thursday, we spent, what, like two and a half hours because we had like take three mm-hmm. and we got to the very end and the recording never saved. It didn't record. <laughs> so here we are. It happens. Yes. It happens more than I would like to admit that some technology error either completely wipes away a blog post I just wrote or a podcast I was just recorded. And the podcasts are, they're really disheartening when it happens because you spend a lot of time preparing and doing the recording. And then when you get done and it's not saving, it's really disappointing. But honestly, I wasn't super sad because last week was a bad week for me. And the fact that I could not get out of my own head. And that's ironic because the theme that we're talking about for Marge is how to healthify your thoughts. And last week, I felt like a complete hypocrite when I was doing the podcast, which is so outside of who I am as a human that it almost makes it impossible for me to function and get through things. I I just can't fake things. Um, And so that's why we kept restarting because I'm like, I, this isn't going well. Like I'm in my head. I can't do this. I don't, I don't think this is going well. And then the third time I was kind of okay with it, but I was still like, yeah, I don't know. So I wasn't like crushed when it didn't record. I was, cause this is the first time that's happened to me. <laughs> I, but I feel like, okay. So being on the other side of it, um, what would I usually tell you? I don't know. Clear, like, what would you clearly, say? there's a reason why it didn't. Oh save yeah, you always think I'm doing or, something. No, not, well, you got to read the pop ups when they pop up. You can't just click out of them. Well, that is true. <laughs> but I, I feel like we also eventually we would have a conversation and say, like, okay, you've done this once. When you do it again, it's going to get easier. And you always, after you do it again, you would always come back and say, like, yeah, I actually feel way better about it now than I did before. So. Yeah. I can't say that it it was always lost, but it was frustrating, I'm sure, on your part to have to do it again. Yeah. And I thought, I think for some time or at some point you just thought I was just being a ramrod on my computer, which is true a lot of the time and just clicking out of things and like not really like sorting through anything or reading the pop-ups when they come. And so you always got annoyed. Like, this is your fault, Alexa. But you saw this was not my fault this time. I actually think it was mine. It was your I'll fault. admit yeah. it. <laughs> I think I was logged okay. in as you on my computer and that messed it all up. Yeah. So it just goes to show you can't fake to be someone else. You I can't. Be yeah. true to you. I know. <laughs> Come, there's consequences to that. Okay. But today we're going to talk about how to healthify your thoughts, which I love this topic. Probably one of my favorite topics in all of health is when we start talking about the mind body connection because really, You can only do so much with food. (laughs) And that shit for me sailed a long time ago. And this is really where things start to change. But I'll be honest. I've had a long haul on learning really how to healthify my thoughts. Like I had the knowledge, but actually implementing it was a whole nother level for me. Like I'm not just like a little while. Like this is like five years of therapy (laughs) to get to the point where I don't feel like I'm a hypocrite talking about your thoughts, 
But with that being said, I think last week shows in all of health, it's not like someplace you arrive. Like you're never going to get to the space where you're just free from all of the past problems that have faced you or plagued you, right? Like they should get less and maybe like decrease in their strength of, of the kind of hold that they have in your life. But I think it just shows like there are times when you're really going to have to fight through this and it goes back to the power of the tools that you have. And I think that's what's so critical in all of health is not chasing some idea that you think is automatically going to make you healthy forever. But really, I think anytime we come to something where we want to see growth or lasting health or any of those things, it's really always and only about the tools that you have to regain a sense of balance when life pulls you out because life will always pull you out of balance. It's how are you going to get yourself back into that state that you know is healthy for you based on the tools that you have. You've actually got to use the things that you learn, (laughs) not just know them and not use them. But this is hard. This is hard for you too. Why is this hard for you too? I was just going to say, I feel like you're Nobody can see your eyes when you made that statement, but you were like through the computer screen. You were just giving me that look like I'm talking to you right now. Right. I We will. It's hard for everyone, like yeah. period, because we think it's going to be easy or we just think that we're going to naturally do things. But again, it comes back to the power of the mind of like, you can't just will yourself to do something that ultimately you don't believe in or you have a bad thought about. Like we don't just will ourselves out of these bad, tangled, messy thoughts. And there's a lot that keeps us stuck and our biology almost works against us unless we can start working with our biology. And I think when you answer this question and I'll answer it too, we'll start to sort some of this out. But going back to that, like what makes it so hard for you to get out of those spirals, to do something different? and think something different. Like what keeps you stuck? I want to answer this so bad for you, but I'm going to see what you come up with first. (laughs) Do you need my help? Because I'm really good at helping. Yeah, just give me a prompt. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I really think sometimes my dream job would to be like a family and marriage counselor or something like that. And then I'd be like, literally Alexa could not keep her mouth shut long enough not to just tell people what their problems are. Like really, the benefit of therapy and counseling is getting you to say what your problems are, right? And where you're struggling. Because only ultimately, only you know. I can come up with a lot of assumptions about you based on your patterns um, and I feel like I I just like profile you all the time. <laughs> you are like the ideal therapy client. Oh yeah. Not because not I an love ideal talking about problems. Not an ideal therapist. Which is my problem. You're not an ideal therapist because <laughs> I'm the I'm the ideal client. You are the ideal client because um, mm-hmm. you are an you are just an open book and you love to uh self-diagnose should we say uh yeah i feel like i'd love to go to the deep places that is true but that's my problem and we'll get to that in a minute (laughs) and why i have a hard time changing my thoughts but i'm going to come back to you again and say why do you have such a hard time changing your thoughts what's safe for you I think safe is 
holding the status quo. Like I think we've taught we've talked before, and I know you've talked on here before about how how difficult it is to change because kind of kind of like the whole pendulum idea that you talked about in the last episode that we did. If we start to get off balance, we go back to that equilibrium, which is what's safe for us. And what's safe for us is different for everybody because it's based on our past traumas. It's based on um, maybe the stress level that you're under or, you know, whatever external circumstances are going on that it's just, it's easy to just rely on your past patterns and your past habits to just continue to stay in the same position that you're in. So I feel like that's, Mm -hmm. that's a trap that I easily fall into is, um, you know, like if we have a conversation after, um, we have an argument or a heated discussion or whatever you want to call it. But if we have a discussion afterwards and I'm honest about it, I feel like in the moment, I know what the right thing to do is like, I, I always know what the right thing to do is, but getting, getting yourself to do that right thing, that's where, that's where the change comes from. And I think that's the difficult part. Right. I still don't feel like you answered the question. I think you're being, I feel like you're being a little bit threatened by this question. That's, I feel like you put some shields up. That could be true. Okay. I mean, you kind of said it, but I think when we look at a relationship and what's so hard, and this is not a relationship podcast, but what feels safe to you is very different than me. And your level of safe makes me feel threatened. And my level of safe makes you feel threatened. And it's really because we're both out of balance on some end of the spectrum. And I think this is why people are so volatile with people is because we're constantly being triggered because we don't know how to self-soothe ourselves, right? Like ultimately, and and I wrote this in an Instagram post last week, but it was like something that has always stood out to me. And I feel like a big transforming moment in my thought process was I don't remember if it was in one of the therapy sessions, which I've had a number of therapists (laughs) Uh, or a book I read. I do not remember for the life of me where this came from, but I remember at some point hearing or reading one of the biggest things that you can do if you feel like you're having a problem with so many things is to question, why am I having a problem with so many problems? Like, because ultimately it's like, if we look at life and if we look at a state of health and healing, we really are able to self-regulate. Like we're able to get our mind and our body to a healthy state, regardless of what's going on in the world around us. But I think in the health space, so much of health has been this external pursuit that we are so controlled by what happens around us because that's what has been taught as the only way to achieve health. So we're spending all of our time trying to control our environment and trying to control the people in it and, you know, not buying certain foods because if they're here, then we can't control ourselves. Like that will never get you healthy. That is, uh, that is destined for failure because at the end of the day, we have no outside control. Um, as much as we want to believe it. But I also think there's freedom. And when we recognize, like, as much as I would like to change you, and I've tried really hard, I've invested a lot into trying to change you. I feel like it was this year when I would like fully surrender to the fact, like, you have to change because you want to change. And what I have to do is I have to start learning how to regulate myself, even when you trigger me. 
Am I great at it? No. I mean, honestly, we are coming off like a four-day argument-ish kind of thing, which looks very different than our previous arguments because like my past tendency and my thought process is very extreme. Like I have a lot of emotions and for me, safe is feeling all of those emotions. It's telling other people about my emotions. And in return, it's expecting that you're going to show the same level of emotion, which is exactly opposite of who you are as a human. Like you were the most even keeled, like nothing really riles you up. And I have tried so hard to get you riled up. Like I've given everything I can to do this. And and I think I can stir you somewhat, but it's still never to the degree in which I really want you to be emotionally invested. And what's hard for me, and I think what's hard for humans is to recognize just because it doesn't look like how I'm emotionally invested doesn't mean you're not equally as emotionally invested, but I'm putting too much emphasis into you and not enough emphasis into myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I, so I'm looking to change you because ultimately you're a threat to me and I don't want to do the work to uncover why I feel like I have a problem with so many problems. And so I constantly just blame you and try to fix you. And that's what we do. We distract ourselves from our own freaking minds because it's a protection mechanism. Like it's nothing more than a biological, mental protection mechanism to prevent you from experiencing pain. It's it's childlike and it's there for a reason. But if we want to grow into healthy humans, we have to recognize and respect this process while also using the tools to recenter ourselves because that's the only tools that we have in the world. Okay, Randy, what were you going to say? I don't remember now. <laughs> I was so enthralled by what was, you were saying that... Um, were you? I was, yeah. <laughs> Do you hear the okay, emotion but there? Because here's, here's sometimes the, I don't. Here's I the was thing. so enthralled. <laughs> Oh, I could talk. Can you like say that this. with more excitement? I could talk like this the rest of the podcast. I feel like we overcompensate for each other. Like I am like <laughs> over the top. Like you're like always trying to tone me down, and I'm always trying to be like, we got to be louder. <laughs> People need to know. Yeah. But I feel like I've told you multiple times in the last few months how I do recognize the difference in the shift in your mindset towards. Um, kind of the focus on here's what other people are doing to me or here's what other people are doing wrong or here's what I wish other people would do better. And instead you've shifted that focus back to really understanding, okay, yes, do I wish that this person acted this way? Absolutely. But I can't force them to do that. The only way, the only thing you can control is how you are acting in that situation. And I think you've done a really good job since you kind of made that flip of really holding and staying true to that. Yeah. I mean, it's not perfect. And I don't want to sound like I'm on my high horse. This has been a lot of work. Oh, absolutely. And 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 I've complexified the work because naturally that's what I do to try to come up with the simplest solution is like, I want to go through the whole process because... I feel like there's something here. But also, I think constantly, like after doing five years of therapy, like it shouldn't be this difficult either, right? Like I think about that in both of our lives of like 
sometimes I think in health and in a lot of things in health finder mind, we overcomplexify things again, as a mechanism to prevent ourselves from actually doing the things to change. Because why? Because the place that we're living is safe. You may hate it. You might not like it. It might not be productive in any way, shape, or form. But if that is safe, because you've learned in your past trauma um, from the things that you went through in your past, from the way that you were raised, this is how I have to behave in order to stay alive, to be safe, if we don't do anything to change that, to, to go back and not, not change that, but we have to recognize and honor and respect the fact that what our, our, our little kid self did <laughs> to deal with some of the things that we went through, we'll never be able to understand how to put truth back into that. And some people call this like the, the act of reparenting. Have you heard that term before? Yeah. Like reparent yourself. Basically, you become a parent to your inner child so that you can supply what your child missed out on that now it's going to look for the world to provide while also putting up all these barriers and blocks to keep you safe, which keeps you stuck in these repeated patterns. Because as long as we're looking outside of ourselves for something to change what's inside of us, like we'll be looking a long time other than when we talk about soul, that's totally different. But I'm talking about like worldly things that we're looking to change us. like. None of that will change us. But we have to come back inside of ourselves okay. to start to see that. Okay, so I have I have a question for you. Um, yeah. Similar to your health journey, which you've talked a number of times about, you got to a point where you said, I can't continue to rely on other treatments, other people, all of these other things to make me healthy. And I feel like we mm-hmm. didn't do it on purpose. But I feel like if I look over the last three to four months, we just slowly just stopped going to counseling. And I feel like we've had conversations and been like, actually, you know what? We feel like our relationship is in one of the better places that it's been. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at what point do you feel like you can get to a point to say, talking about it or... um. At what point do you say, I need to handle this on my own and actually start to implement these things instead of just continuing to talk about it? Because talking about it, there's there's clear and obvious value. Like it it took us a couple of years to get to the place where I feel like we could be comfortable to say, okay, we we have the tools that we need to be able to move forward in this, but um is there a point you feel like that you can get to where um, where you can do that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, to me, there's like this, this line between healing and excusing. Mm. And I feel like the moment that, and I recommend therapy for almost anyone, right? Like, I don't think talk therapy is right for everyone. I think there's some trauma so deep and so strong that... It, it won't ever come out through talk therapy. <laughs> like they're so repressed, it's so deep. Um, and there's a lot of other kinds of therapies that you can do that actually don't require you vocalizing any form of previous trauma. Somatic therapy is one of them. But in health and the mindset, what I realized was there was a time and a place that I needed to use these tools to heal. And I was using them to heal. But eventually there became a shift where it started to be an excuse. 
um, an excuse to stay sick, an excuse to not, and that sounds weird because no one wants to stay sick. No one wants to stay stuck in their trauma. But what we have to recognize about our mind is as long as you've survived that state and you've lived in this sense of safety, even though it's unhealthy, not productive, if it's safe, you'll continue to repeat those patterns. Your body is constantly cycling through loops and patterns. And this is what it will always do in the subconscious. It will just constantly cycle through patterns because again, it's a safety mechanism of the body. And the body's number one job is to keep you alive. Its goal is not to keep you alive. Its goal is to thrive. Like it ultimately wants to thrive so that it can use all of you to go out and live your life, to live your passion, to take up space in this world and do all the things you're supposed to do. But at the root of it, it can't do any of that unless you're alive, right? So we have all of these mechanisms in our life to keep us alive. Um, And again, it takes healing through some of those things with extra help like therapies, sometimes medications, all of those things. But as soon as you start to use that as an excuse for why you can't overcome that, I think that's where it's like, okay, you know now, you know now, now you're just using it as an excuse to stay here. And you might subconsciously be doing this at first, like I was, um, because it's safe. Like we have to remember, we're always doing things that are safe. But if you get to that point and you're like, okay, now I just feel like I know the things, but I can't quite break out of them. Then that's the time to start questioning what about this place feels so safe? And how can I provide safety as I move forward? Like, how can I stop using my past, my healing as an excuse and actually just start living it? And I think in my healing journey, that was when I realized, like, if I don't start taking this seriously and doing the things I know how to do on my own, if I don't start believing I can actually be healthy, I am going to be dependent on weekly treatments for all the things that were ailing me forever. Like, was it hard? I mean, in some ways we can kind of become addicted to this stuff that in a sense is bringing us life. And the same thing with therapy. Like I felt like we just kept cycling through our past. And this is what I was going to say for you when I say, um, why is it so hard to change your thoughts? And I think, again, we're different, but I felt like too, for you is like, you constantly use your past story as an excuse. And I feel like when we're using that kind of thing to excuse the growth that we're really wanting or looking for, that's the point when the healing's no longer healthy. The healing's doing more harm than good. Yeah. And I was going to use an example of like, I feel like towards the end of last year, as we started slowing down when we were going to counseling, I feel like that's when it kind of got to the point where um, I was saying things like, oh, that would be great for us to discuss at our next counseling session. Which Yeah, and ins- you wouldn't discuss it Which then. instead of just dealing with it, because again, like underneath the surface, I knew what the right thing to do was. I didn't need to talk mm-hmm. about it with anybody, but it was a way to just excuse it away and say like, oh, pretend like, you know, I don't really know what to do. So we should talk about this with a professional and, and then I'll do something about it versus just saying like, let's just have the conversation now. And then let's just, let's just deal with it. Let's just start changing whatever that was. And that was the point where like looking back on it, where, like you said, it started to become an excuse like, oh, I need this to help me instead of Mm -hmm. just saying what it's provided me 
up to this point has given me the tools that I need to be successful going forward and just trusting and relying on that and then moving forward in it instead of instead of saying, oh, like I need to continue going because, you know, every week there's always something. Well, there's always going to be oh, yeah. something. I mean, we talked about that last night. I mean, we're always going to make mistakes. Like we're sinful human beings. It's who we are, but it's how we react to that where the difference comes in. And that's right. that for me has been the sticking point. Like you said, using um, past, whether it was things from childhood or things from our marriage or things from a week ago or whatever it is, like using those things as an excuse to kind of justify why I did or didn't do something. Um, and then that kind of holds us up. But I think to kind of transition the conversation, um, because we do have the benefit that we've recorded this three times. So um, we can, uh, we can kind of talk through this, but um, if we go back to the, the March write-up for the planner, how it talks mm-hmm. about the thinking mind and the observing mind, because in reality, we're trying to talk about how to healthify our thoughts. Yeah. So those thoughts come from our mind and you do a really good job of kind of laying out what the differences between those are. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and before we get there, I just want to go into counseling because I think it leads into this idea of the two minds. I feel like in a healing journey, you're always going to have to go back at times and places to get help again. You know, it's like, I'm never never going to say I'm forever done with my treatments to heal my body. Like I still go back from time to time. It's not to say that we'll never go back to therapy. Like I think when we look at our mind, there's going to be times when your mind creates the story that you believe so fully, but it's causing disconnection with your life, right? Like it's leading you down a path that is not healthy or not really what you believe. And I think that's the power of talking with someone else is to recognize like, they can see outside of your story enough to start to put truth back into that story, right? Like we know repressed memories, things like that. Like they're terribly and unreliable. (laughs) So sometimes we build these stories and that's what your mind does is it's constantly looking to build a loop to finish a story. That's what it lives its, its life for, right? Is to end stories, to have this completion, And so we make up, like when the ending isn't finished, what our mind's going to do is it's going to try and create all the supporting evidence to finish the story for you. And this gets really dangerous because how you mentally finish your story is probably the outcome that you're going to live. Because when we look at this mind-body connection, your mind is going to signal through your nervous system and into your hormones into every single cell in your body, how to perform. It's going to take action based off what's going on in your mind, based off the story you're telling yourself. Now, we don't always tell ourselves truthful things. (laughs) And this is where we have to be really careful because we can get ourselves to believe that even if it's not true. And ultimately, you'll start to live out of that. You'll act based on what you think and your thoughts are generally based or filtered through your belief system. And so it's really important to go back and understand what is it that you believe to have a filter that adds truth in because your mind is not really that reliable. 
And inside the planner, um, I think a, a powerful th- exercise or understanding, and this has helped you too, right? Yeah. The two minds. Yeah. Is to recognize that your thoughts aren't just things floating around inside your head. You have a lot of thoughts in a day, anywhere from 40,000 to 70,000 thoughts, like conscious thoughts, mind boggling, right? Uh, but when you understand your thoughts, you can recognize, okay, the majority of your thoughts that you're having are actually not based on any sort of truth. Um, and even if they are, if they're not helpful, they, they aren't things that you should fixate on because as soon as you give a thought attention, you give it energy and you allow it to grow. And the bigger the thought becomes, the harder it is to leave and the more likely you are to take action on it. So let's say for instance, like you're recording this podcast and outside there's a storm going on, right? And more than likely that's going to capture your attention. And if you're scared of storms or if you've had a bad experience or a trauma with storms, what's going to happen there is you're going to start to pull past information that says, this is scary. This is bad. And your brain's going to start to go to work to self-protect. You're probably going to stop listening to what's going on in this conversation. And you're going to put your attention into the storm, which yes, it's a threat. We should. But even if it's a mild thunderstorm in your mind, you could have made up this story like a tornado is coming. I don't know why I'm going down this tangent, but now all I'm thinking about is my sister because I swear she does this. (laughs) Or our kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's scary. And so it becomes this big thing. And no matter how much truth people are putting into your mind, like it's not a big deal. It's just a mild thunderstorm. Like you inside your brain are allowing those thoughts to stir that says like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. We're all going to die. People do this all the time with health too, right? And it's not to say that we should ignore every health thing, but I even think about like people who look at in the mirror and they say like, I'm so fat, you know, and they have that thought. And then that thought captures attention. Usually negative thoughts capture our attention unless we retrain our brain to be more positive. Negative thoughts, what you think consistently is going to capture more of your attention. So that thought's going to capture your attention. And then you're probably going to have supporting thoughts that go along with it. You might grab your stomach and you might be like, oh my gosh, this looks so bad. Look at the cellulite. And then like you just start adding evidences thought until it becomes so big that it almost acts in your belief system. And then eventually you'll take action accordingly. Now, the power of the two minds is to recognize that just because you think something doesn't mean you have to focus on it, doesn't mean you have to give it attention or energy. And the two minds basically says that there's the thinking mind, which is the chatterbox part of your brain that's constantly talking. Um, It's more of your egotistical side. It's not always truthful. It tends to fixate or focus on more negative things. And this is a point that's always running. Like it's always going. No matter how great you are at meditation, like your thinking mind is generally never stopped. Even when you're sleeping, your thinking mind is going. Your observing mind is the second part of your mind. And I've heard this referenced as maybe the witness seat of your mind. It's essentially the observer, right? Like it it observes your thinking mind. Now your thinking mind is really strong. It's really powerful. Your observing mind Unless you foster a relationship with it, it probably feels non-existent (laughs) because most people don't observe the thoughts that they think, they just act accordingly. So if you really want to change your thoughts, you have to get to know your observing mind. You have to be able to think a thought and be able to step outside your mind to assess the thought and to say like, is this helpful? Is this true? Is this beneficial? And like, it's almost like you're starting to filter that like someone on a witness stand is you know, like a a jury 
to say like, is there any truth in this? Like, is this something that I really want to think on or act on? Is this helpful, beneficial? What's the cost of this? And you start to weigh that that out. If it's something that your observing mind is like, that's valuable, that's valid, then you can add more attention to it. It's essentially directing your thoughts in a place that aligns with your truth or your belief, where you want to go and what's healthy for you. Is it perfect 100% of the time? No. But I would say the majority of the people, and I don't just say this, research shows the majority of people don't actually ever observe what they're thinking. They just react. And if you want to be proactive, understanding the observing mind and understanding those stories that you tell yourself, it's going to be a lot of repeated stories. In fact, here's a fun statistic for you. 80% of what you think today is exactly the same as what you thought yesterday. Isn't that crazy? You only have 20% new thoughts a day. That's crazy. Again, it shows the power of loops. Once you get these loops, you're stuck. You're not stuck in them, but unless you change them, you are stuck in them. So the observing mind is the filter that says, okay, yeah, that thought's worth thinking about or no, that thought's not helpful. And you literally just start to learn to say like, I'm not going to think about that. And you just release it. It sounds like a lot of work, but this, once you get in the process of it, it should be firing. Like your observing mind should be working right alongside your thinking mind. It just takes a little practice to get into it. But here's the deal. Sometimes your thinking mind is just going to run wild and you're going to go back to your old patterns. And I think sometimes it's just, again, it's a tool to recognize you do have the power to step outside your mind, to observe it, and to decide what you're going to do with it. And so when I get into these bad spells um, and like, yeah, we've kind of had an argument the last four days, Um, but it was, it's different than the arguments we've had in our past. Um, But one of the things that I feel like I get better about in these moments, even though four days feels excessive, I've been observing, why am I having a problem with so many problems? Like, why am I having a problem with you? What is it about you? What's going on? And trying to really observe that, to understand that. And in the process of it, really trying to not look for you necessarily to fix it. Although I think it's important to have that conversation of like, you hurt me in this area. This is where I felt threatened or whatever. But ultimately being able to also kind of patch myself back up to recreate a better story inside of my brain instead of constantly relying on you to fix everything. Yeah. So... Here's the thing. I have the best seat because I get to be a part of this conversation and see this, see you process and think through and talk about this stuff live to where everybody else just listens to the end result. So it's actually fun for me to be on the other side of it. But so here's here's my question. You talked about a couple minutes ago about how your observing mind should be acting alongside of your thinking mind. You've described your thinking mind as like this this wild, sometimes illogical, outside of reason, like your thinking mind is just crazy, untamed, like all of that. So do you feel like you have been able to align your observing mind with your thinking mind? I mean, I feel like there's still moments where my thinking mind gets the best of me, but I do feel like I'm more apt to say like, okay, especially again, going back to that question, why are you having a problem with so many problems? 
like constantly thinking, why do I have a problem with this scenario? So when I feel like I feel heightened, I'm getting angry, I feel like I'm slurring negative insults at me or I'm feeling self-conscious, I feel like in those moments when I start to feel those things, I am, I feel like it's almost, I've gotten out of balance a little bit. Like my thinking rind has taken back control and that's when I know, okay, it's time to recalibrate. It's time to get in there and understand like what really is going on. So we have our youngest daughter. She has no filter. And literally most of the thoughts that she thinks come out in words. <laughs> so you have a really good picture of what's happening inside of her thinking mind, whether you want to or not. And what I love about her is that she says everything, but it's also sometimes I'm like, you say everything and most of the things you think you probably shouldn't say, right? Like (laughs) think about how many things you think, but you never say. But I think about like, okay, your thinking mind is like little Auden, who's eight, who has literally no filter, says whatever she thinks. And your observing mind is like the wiser parent who's like, okay, I recognize that you had that thought, but maybe that's not a great thought to have. Maybe that's not true. For instance, last night at the dinner table, she told us this big story about this big dramatic thing that happened at school. And we were both like, okay, we're appreciative that you had that thought. But could it be that this this idea that you heard was a rumor? Could it be it's not as bad as you think? Could it be even something that's not even your problem that you need to deal with as long as you told the teacher, now you let it go, you know? But also like kind of walking alongside of her to acknowledge this is really important and changing our thoughts because I think so often we miss this part because we're suppressing, we're shoving our emotions down. And people do this a lot of times with food. Food is a great insulator of emotions. I was just, that's why we comfort. I was just going to say, uh, shove it. You said, shove it down. I was like, or eat them. Yeah. I mean, shove it down with food. Like we have to do something to dissipate the emotions if we're not dealing with them. And that's a survival response. Bad emotions are negatively charged and they can be incredibly harmful to your body. That's why you have to do something with them, whether it's let them out in rage and anger. Hello, my life. Um, or eat them. Like when you suppress them, you you really do need the protector, the insulator of body fat or some kind of comfort food to kind of protect your body from that negative charge. But when you observe, acknowledging them is really one of the only ways to let them go. Because like anyone, you want to be heard. And this is what I say all the time. I want to be heard. And your mind wants to be heard because your thinking mind, while it's wild, untamed, irrational, egotistical, all those things, to your thinking mind, it's truth. And so it needs to be heard like a child. It needs to be heard. But here's the thing. Just because you acknowledge something does not mean you need to accept it or make it truth, right? Like acknowledge, like I understand this is what you're thinking, like we do with audit. I I hear you. I hear what you're thinking, but what about this? But that's not a healthy thought. But let's just release it. But let's move on. So it's not like you're just distracting yourself from the thought because that's often shoving, dismissing. All of that is just suppressing those those thoughts, making them be repeated tomorrow. And they never go away. You constantly act out of them. But when you acknowledge it, 
you bring it to light and then and I think that the, allows it to I think the key part in that because is you're not shoving it the acknowledgement because if you didn't say I hear you this may not be true or you know whatever you're doing to acknowledge that if you remove that part and you just say you should not think that that's dismissing it which then like we've talked about before the more you're told not to do something how likely are you to feel like oh i shouldn't do that like, yeah. you're more likely to be like no i'm going to show you yeah. or like it it makes it something that you yeah. you focus on more and that was going to be one of my other questions is um yeah. are both your thinking mind and your observing mind impacted by external stimulus or is it primarily your thinking mind like if somebody if somebody if somebody highlights um, something say they highlight something about your body that then makes you focus on that is that your observing mind or is that your thinking mind Well, that's generally like your thinking mind. If you allow your observing mind to go, if if you don't learn how to use your observing mind to your advantage, it will also support yeah. your thinking mind. Does that make sense? So it's like when you have a thought, like again, say you look in the mirror and you're so fat. Well, what your body's going to do, like thoughts, you're constantly having stimulus come in, right? Like even now you're sitting in the closet, there's constantly stimulus coming in. But more than likely, hopefully you're focused on this conversation and not all the other things that are going on around you. And the reason you're focused on this conversation or like thoughts, in order to develop a focus, they have to start developing external information, internal stored memories. I, I think of it like a Tetris system, right? Like a thought is nothing until it builds like legs to stand on. And so your body's going to start to pull supporting evidence from past stories, past memories, things people have told you, what's currently happening in your life. You're going to start to build all of this to decide, yeah, that's true. No, that's not. So like, say for instance, someone started a rumor about you and you're like, there's absolutely no truth to that. Like in a healthy state, your observing mind would be like, well, there's nothing true about that. And you just kind of let it go, right? Like that's on someone else. That's not on me. But if someone started a rumor about you and you didn't have a great observing mind, you might start to pull from your past memories and be like, well, maybe that is true. What if I did do that? Like, oh my gosh, is this me? And you start to like gain all of this supporting evidence to almost create that truth inside your brain. But it's it's also not even just saying, oh, maybe I did do that. But you could be, your observing mind could be focusing on like, man, now all these people think this about me. Mm -hmm. And starting to focus so much on the negative social aspects of whatever that rumor might be. And that's that's obviously also an unhealthy version of your observing mind. So here's the question. And maybe what? this gets into the actual answer of how do you healthify your thoughts is how do you healthify? I love that word, by the way. You use Healthify? it all the time. And I don't even know. Is it, is even it a word? word? <laughs> I don't know. But you use it all the time and it's like normal lingo in our house now. Um, the question is, how do you change for the better your observing mind? Because like you said, our thinking mind is wild. It's untamed. It's taking all of this stuff in from the outside. It's taking what other people have said. It's taking our past 
um, experiences. It's doing all of this stuff and it's just constantly firing. How many thoughts a day did you say? So, I mean, it could be upwards of 70,000. Yeah. So 70,000 thoughts in a day that are really uncontrolled, that are just passing through our mind, 80% of which obviously we repeat. Um, our observing mind is really what helps us change mm -hmm. if it's healthy. So I think that's the question is like maybe from your experience or from just what you know, how do you change the observing mind to actually impact those 70,000 thoughts that are going through your head to actually change your overall attitude, what you do and your thought pattern in your life? Yeah. I mean, when we look at the observing mind, it only knows your truth, right? <laughs> and so I think it goes back, if you take it one step further, and in the previous podcast that you didn't hear, I was trying to make this connection, like your mind is a bridge, or maybe better said, it's like the TS TSA checkpoint at an airport. It's deciding what's safe and unsafe through your soul and your body. And, and I've had a number of people argue me that the mind is a separate thing, which yes, it is. But I also think like it's not thinking on its own. It's it's constantly getting inputs from your soul and your body to decide what's true. So I think to healthify your observing mind is basically to better train the TSA agents to decide what's going to get in and what's going to go out is to healthify your body and to healthify your soul. Like I think in order to healthify your mind, in order to have the right observing mind, you have to have both of those things. Now, I think the soul and your beliefs is probably the most critical because while I said you can't expect to heal from all these external things of worldly things, I think we also have to recognize that we're broken people and broken people can't fix broken people. Like we can't fix ourselves and we have to have a belief in something bigger than ourselves. Like we, we do know that, like whether you're a Christian or not, or whatever you believe in, like, and research shows that healing happens at the deepest level by believing in something bigger than yourself. And so we have to understand that there's a huge spiritual component to the health of our mind and to the health of our body. And we cannot neglect this. But before I dive into that a little bit more, I want to go back to the body because the body is also really important in healthifying the mind. Because if your body doesn't have the energy that it needs, if it doesn't have the nutrients that it needs, especially the minerals, what's, what it's going to do is it's actually going to shift the biology of our cells and our hormones and our enzymes, which also go back to the brain. They don't just go to our cells, but they go back to the brain and they're going to influence and tell the body whether you're safe or not safe. So it's constantly taking in measurements of safety or unsafe, just like a TSA agent. Like this is safe, this isn't safe. And when things aren't safe, it puts up more barriers to try to protect you. So if your body's unhealthy, we can't expect our mind to think great things. And I think we neglect this aspect to think like, if I just think better, I'll eat better. Yes, that's true. But it's a full circle. It's a loop. We have to also eat better in order to think better. Um, and those things have to go together. And so, yes, food does matter, especially when you get into energy and minerals. And like, if your body's tired, like think about the last time you were really tired. Like, did you have great thoughts or did you like think like blah, like blah, you know, like. I told you yesterday, yesterday was one of those days. Yeah. I feel like 
last week was just a weird week. This last weekend, it was super busy. And yesterday, I mean, we're recording on a Tuesday. So yesterday was a Monday and it was just, it was just hard to get into the day. And yeah, you, it's so easy. You know, it's why, you know, everybody dreads Mondays, right? Mm -hmm. Is it's just, it's hard to get your mind into like restarting after you've taken some time to rest or spend time with family, or maybe you have been gone for a few days and then you're coming back. It's like, it's, it's hard to shift out of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I know where you're coming from. Yeah. We went through it this weekend. And why research shows that exercise is one of the greatest release of endorphins, right? It's it's an energy fill if it's done in the right way in the right mindset, but it truly is an energy fill and it makes you think better. Why? Because it energizes your body. So there's the body component that we can't ignore. Our body's feeding our mind. But again, we go back to the soul part. Your observing mind is constantly looking for your belief system to basically dictate what's safe and unsafe. And so we have to understand our belief system. We have to understand and and to acknowledge what do I believe? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it a great thing to guide my life, you know? And it's really just having a bigger view of life than ourselves. Because if we don't have a big view of our life, we're constantly going to be stuck in our own problems. Like we'll just circle around our own problems because our problems are our life. We can't see outside of that. And so when you create a bigger idea and you live for something greater than you, and like for me, why here at The Living Well, I talk about the soul aspect and I talk about God is because to me, like having that way almost becomes that guiding point for our life. And that's what our mind filters its thoughts through. And so for, for, for us as believers, we should be able to think like, okay, I'm having this thought. Does that align with what I believe? And if it doesn't, if those thoughts aren't worthy or true, it's redirecting them. Now I want to be clear, redirecting and distracting are not the same thing. And I feel like people want to lump them together and say like, oh, I'm just going to distract myself from these negative thoughts. Like distraction is another um, way to shove or stuff your emotions. Redirecting is the acknowledgement that the thought I'm having doesn't align with where I want to go. And I'm going to redirect it to truth. And the redirection, not distraction, is one of the best ways to change those loops because you're going back to the story that you tell yourself, which is truly your identity. And you're going to decide based on that story, is the story helpful? Is it beneficial? And I'm going to redirect and fill that story with truth because ultimately that's the thoughts that I'm going to have. And that's how the outcome is going to be achieved. So we can't neglect our soul. I remember once in therapy when she's just like, okay, you need to make a gratitude list. Like one of the first therapy sessions that we had, I don't know if you remember this. And it was like, I tend to be a pain addict. So um, I'm just addicted to like pain. And so gratitude is really hard for a pain addict because if you're grateful, then it removes you from the state of pain. (laughs) And so I made my gratitude list. I think I did it for seven days or two weeks or something. I came back and I was like, honestly, didn't do anything for me. And gratitude, we know in research is also proven to be one of the healthiest things. And, and I was adamant, like it, it did nothing for me. In fact, it almost made me more angry. That's always caught my attention because I think a lot of self-help books would just tell you to just think better, think more positively. That's a real problem for people who love, who find safety in hard things and pain because good things are unsafe, right? 
but I was thinking about this and it was like, okay, it's not that I'm not grateful, but I don't believe I'm worthy of the things I'm grateful for. So there was the belief issue with like, I can say all the things I'm grateful for, but if I don't believe I'm worthy of these things, I'm not really grateful, you know, like sounds really messed up, but that's really where I came from. And so it really goes back into, you can try to hack your mind all you want, but if, if your belief system is faulty, if you have a story based out of untrue trauma, a lot of people develop their story based on trauma and you try to change your mind by reading all this stuff and gathering knowledge, the knowledge only gets you so far because ultimately you have to believe it because what you believe in the story you've built is what you're going to live out of. So if you really want to healthify your mind, it's less about trying to will yourself into thinking better. And it's more about how are you feeding your soul and how are you feeding your body? The soul is ultimately the most important because it's our ultimate source of energy. But how you're nourishing the body is also going to matter in creating the sense of safety so that you can create better loops inside your mind. So it's kind of like this twofold approach, but we can't neglect the soul. We can't neglect our belief system and the story that we've told ourselves in our inner identity. So I feel like as you're explaining that, I go back to remember in the last one we recorded, we were struggling with that light bulb analogy. Yeah. It almost makes me think that the the power or like the energy source is the soul. Right. And then I mean it has to Yeah, be. and then the body is like the neutral cuz that's how you act out of that and the mind is there as the safety which is the ground. Like if if you get like in, in an electrical circuit if something sparks if something shorts the ground takes that and takes it mm-hmm. to safety. Like that's kind of like yeah. your observing mind is that like safety point to like pull everything back together and say, nope, that's not true. But your like your your source of power and strength and change really comes from the soul and like your belief system. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause ultimately your body is going to be an outcome of your belief system. Even though I just said how you nourish your body is going to affect how your mind responds. They both work together, but even healthifying your body can only get you so far in changing your outcome unless you really change the story and the belief that you have. Like you can't do all the right things and eat all the right foods and constantly tell yourself you're fat and ever actually get rid of all the fat that you want to. Like you'll never really achieve the state of health because it's unhealthy to believe you're fat, you know? Like that's not healthy. Um, And I think it's so hard to think about how how easy it is to not even know that we're doing it, but focus so much on those negative thoughts that you hold yourself in that like state of equilibrium where like once you believe something about yourself, even though like in your, in your mind, you know, this isn't right. Like you still stay stuck in that and your, your entire body and your entire life stays like circled around that, even though, you know, something isn't right about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some things that people can do to start? I guess is the first place to start changing or understanding your observing mind or to start just, uh, putting some words or putting more observing mind type thoughts towards your thinking mind? 
Well, I, I think it goes back to understanding your thoughts. So I think it starts with just understanding the chatterbox part of you because that part's going to speak all the things, even if they're not true or healthy, like it's egotistical. So it doesn't care what it's thinking. It's just going to think them, right? And I think think six-year-old kid with no filter. Yeah. Think six-year-old daughter who says whatever she thinks. Um, But I think starting there and just acknowledging your thoughts and starting to keep track of that, because if you start with your identity aspect of that, I think it's really hard because we all want a good identity. We all would tell you, you know, like I even think like Christians, like everyone's going to say, I believe in God. But like, if we really get into our thoughts, do that, does that align with the belief that you say you have? Or are you just saying you have that because it's the right thing to say when really at the end of the day, maybe you're like, I really actually am questioning his existence, but that feels scary because that feels socially unacceptable. You know, like it doesn't feel like I should be saying that. And so a lot of times if we don't really dive into our thoughts, we're going to tangle up the story that we actually live out of with the story that we think we should live out of. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think if we don't go back to what we're thinking and, and, and really how we're acting out of that, I think it's really hard to identify the true story that you've created. Even if it's not a healthy story, then eventually you can go back and change that story. But as long as you believe you have this or you're living for this artificial story that you're really not, (laughs) it will never be true for you. So when it comes to the soul thing, I really did go through like a God crisis a few years ago, more than a few years ago, probably like seven or eight years ago, where I grew up a Christian my whole life. I was supposed to believe these things. I was supposed to believe in God. And I did. But I had also created this story that I thought I was supposed to believe. I created this idea of a life I thought I was supposed to live, even though what I was actually living was not that at all. My my true story was, is God even real? I haven't seen him show up for me. Um, You know, I should be doing all these things. I'm just such a failure. Like I started to believe because the story I had fabricated was the ideal story for me was different than the story that I was actually living. They didn't align. And so my story just kept getting more degraded, (laughs) like more damaging. And it wasn't until I started to actually understand my thoughts and acknowledge them because I would have thoughts of like, is he real? Like, is he not real? Like, you know, those thoughts that you never speak out loud because God forbid you ever actually say, is he real? But when I started to acknowledge that and in a way, respect those thoughts, then I was able to go back to my identity, to my belief system. And I would start to really look and really start to formulate what is it that I believe, not what is it that everyone expects me to believe? What is it that I believe? And almost going on this journey to identify, to understand, to learn, to acknowledge, and to really commit to something. That was a game changer for me. I mean, a complete game changer because then it allowed me to understand everything I had created as my story. Like then it was like, okay, yeah, I did find God on my own after going through a time where I questioned his reality, but it took me observing my thoughts to get to that place where I could go back and understand the story I was actually living out. The same was true for health, right? Like I had all these ideals about what health was supposed to be. I was the nutritionist. I was supposed to be healthy and fit and thin and all the things. But when I lost my health, 
what, what, what did I have? The story was faulty. Like, then I was in an identity crisis that left me purposeless. And this is where so many people get, right? Rock bottom, where there feels like there's no purpose for you. Why? Because we're living out a fabricated story that we don't actually believe, and we're never acknowledging the thoughts that we have to really go back and ask the hard questions to change the story. So first, it's acknowledging the thoughts while also nourishing the body, because I think that's just an easy go-to that we can all do. But then it's starting to understand the thoughts that I'm having and how do those align with the story I actually am living out of? Even if it's not the story I want, we have to acknowledge where we're starting from in order to insert truth and change that. Speak it. Hey, guess what? What? This summer, I'm going to do a whole podcast series on changing the story, like getting back to the story and building truth inside the story because this is so important. And it's this makes it sound really complicated, but I'm thinking about breaking it down like week by week. Here's one little step that we can take. So at the end of the summer, we can all have a better story. How do you feel about that? Sounds great. Okay. And I love names. Do you know what I'm going to call it? Mindset school. No, but that would be good. Healthy-ish. <laughs> because here's the deal. Everyone wants to be healthy. And I think the ultimate form of being healthy is just being healthy-ish. Like recognizing it's never perfect, but it's always an act of growth. And I think if we identify with this destination, then we think we've arrived. And then when life comes and like rips the rug out from under us, we're screwed again. But when you're like healthy-ish, you recognize it's always a matter of growth and you're always working to achieve that. Because I think that's ultimately the life here on earth is just, we never arrive, <laughs> constantly working. So healthy-ish is kind of like, do the thing, but live your life. How do you feel about it? I mean, now it's recorded, so. I mean, it doesn't have to be. It could change a million times. Like That's true. I don't know. You said healthify. And I'm like, lately, I've just been really attracted to the word healthy-ish. There you go. Okay. Anyways, weigh in on those thoughts about this summer podcast series. Peyton's telling me he needs to go. I need to wrap this up. He's going to buy two more baby goats because he loves goat farming so much. <laughs> I just love our kids. What are you, what are you, what's going through your thinking mind right now? <laughs> Let's observe your thoughts. I'm questioning why I'm driving three hours when I know that as soon as I get home tomorrow, there's going to be one like 10 minutes away that's going to be for sale. I know. It's, it's bonding with your children. Otherwise, I could care less. It's just mm. driving three hours one way to get. I two think goats. the road trip sounds nice today. It. You have a lot of time. You'll have a lot of time to process your thinking mind. That's true. That's true. Because I'll have a twelve-year-old daughter in the car with me who won't want anything to do with any conversations. So. Well, I don't. I I make them talk to me. <laughs> I guess I haven't got there yet. <laughs> okay. But you do the same thing to me. Here's, that's that's your natural state is force conversations out of force, people. Force conversation. That makes me sound like a horrible oh, human being. No, it's it's a very This is why God has me sit in my basement by myself because I literally would distract everyone from getting anything done with their life because we would have deep conversations all day long. To me, it shows your empathy. Yeah, I do love learning. You okay, care, here's you care the enough homework. about everybody that you encounter that you 
want to know more and more and more about them. Even if you live with them on a daily basis, you're still like, you are trying to be the observing mind to everybody's thinking mind around you. Yeah, but it's because I really, really, really deeply believe that everyone has something amazing to offer. And I feel like the world makes us so small and insignificant that I'm like, if we just saw people, regardless of how they treated us, like if we really just saw humans, I think we'd be amazed at what what is out there, what people have, what they offer, their experience, what's inside their minds. Like I am constantly amazed sometimes annoyed, but mostly amazed by other humans. And why I do this podcast and the work that I do is because I'm like genuinely invested in helping people to break through all of the lies, all of the things that are leading them to think small and to really just see like health is not the goal. The goal is to use health as a tool to live your life. And you have so much to offer. Anyways, your homework for this week um, or your challenge is to observe your mind. Now, here's the deal. You can't do this by scrolling social media. You can't do this by listening to podcasts. Like, turn this off and just create 10 minutes a day of just nothing. Like, go for a walk, get out a journal, just observe your mind. Like, get into the silence and just recognize what you're thinking and start to acknowledge some of that stuff and do this repetitively. And over time, you'll start to see these themes. You'll start to see the repeated loops, the 80% of the things that you constantly think about. And you'll start to uncover the story that you really do believe. And from there, you can start to build truth in that. Also nourish your body, nourish your soul, and things will really start to change. Okay, that's it for today. Peyton, thanks for being here. I know you got to go. Next month, we're talking about how to like yourself I'm excited for this one because this has been hard for me. In fact, just the other day, I was kind of thinking, do I even like myself? Um, anyways. You're just prepping yourself for next, for next month. Yeah, I know. Okay. I read it in a nonfiction book, actually. Mm. I love I, I love learning from, from stories. Anyways, that's it. I believe you have a freedom story inside of you. We're going to talk more about that later. And come back this summer because we're going to talk about getting healthy-ish. Have a great day. Don't forget to head to thelivingwell.com. And also, there's a new live workshop coming out that's on the psychology of change. If you loved this podcast, it's going to be right up your alley. And we're really going to dive into... I'm trying to get Peyton to come on with one lesson and talk about something. But we're going to talk about what it takes to nourish your body, to healthify your hormones, changing your mind, and also the soul work. But really, we're going to get into how do you actually do the things that you know you should? And I'm going to give you a... 30-day nourish challenge at the end of it to start, which by the way, Peyton, you're starting that this week because we're going to try it out before we do the 30-day nourish challenge with everyone else. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Welcome to Thanks the party. for throwing that at me live. Yeah. We'll see how you do next week and see if you really love yourself at the end of it. Okay. Let's do it. Head to thelivingwell.com to sign up for the psychology of change and I'll see you inside the workshop. We'll see you next week. <laughs>